The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour program here on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Jason Dennington. In today's Nonprofit Hour show, we'll be hearing about a couple of nonprofits that are long-established ones in the Portland area who are doing tremendously important work for people in vulnerable populations and doing it in a way that maintains their clients' dignity and self-worth. In the first half of the show, Phil Bussey spoke at our latest live recording event with Elise Downing of Sisters of the Road, a homeless support and advocacy group that has been operating in our city since 1979. It's been such a long-standing foundation in our community that there's even a song written about them which we'll hear about during their interview. In the second half of the show, we'll learn about Rosehaven, an organization that is approaching 20 years of serving women and children experiencing the trauma of abuse, loss of home, and other disruptive life challenges. We were joined in our studio by their executive director, Rebecca Albert, who took us through the history of Rosehaven and painted a picture of the experiences their guests have faced and how they created a safe, respectful community with support and services to assist the women and children in regaining stability in their lives. First up, though, in the news for the week, we recently interviewed two trustees from the organization Awesome Portland, and they spoke to Phil about an upcoming event that they have happening tomorrow, Tuesday night. Here's Phil. We recently interviewed uh, a couple of the trustees from a fantastic organization in town called Awesome Portland, which provides small grants to artists, individuals, community organizers uh, for awesome ideas to make Portland even better. Uh, that interview is coming up in a future show, but if you want to find out more about the organization, they have an event coming up tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, Megan McGeorge is one of the trustees. Uh, what can people expect to see at this event and where should they be? They can expect to see our five finalists pitch their idea and one of them win $1,000. They'll also get to vote for an audience choice favorite and give them $100. And these these are ideas from last, last go around. You guys had the Puggy Bank, which was the winner, which mm -hmm. is a art installation where people mm -hmm. can make donations which are then uh, given to homeless men and women. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. And so anything from art projects to... Yes, uh, see the process. See the right. process, see what works. Yeah, if you're going to pitch it in the future, come to this party. Oh, absolutely. Like if you, because then you'll know see what... See how it works, see what we think, I guess, what we're going to end up like. And you get to vote in the Audience Choice Award. Yeah. Great. This is going to be at the Civic Tap Room and Bottle Shop Tuesday, 7 p.m. So let me out... And you get to drink. To find out more, go to awesomeportland.org. Thank you. We were looking forward to hearing your full interview, and I encourage people to go check out the event.
That is Irving, the best house band in Portland. We are so pleased. Not entirely housebroken, but I, I mean that as Stop a it. compliment. Um, this is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. First Sunday every month, we record our show live at the Waypost on North Williams, 5 p.m., and we are thrilled to have a fantastic guest and to have the band Irving. Thank you guys so much. Our next guest, uh, Elise Downing, is a development co-manager for Sisters of the Road. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, and, and so uh, just paint a, paint a picture of what a typical day... Well, let, let's start. Where is Sisters of the Road? Uh, Sisters of the Road uh, is and has been located on the corner of Northwest 6th and Davis and Old Town for 36 and a half years, something like that, since 1979. Um, so we're a cafe and a community space right there on the corner. Yeah, I mean, I, Sisters of the Road is truly an institution. I mean, both has been there for, uh, since 1979, and we'll talk about uh, some of the things that have changed and a lot that has not changed. Mm -hmm. um, can we start with, can you just paint a typical uh, picture of a typical lunch hour or, or a typical day? Yeah, uh, so our staff comes in at 7 a.m. to start cooking lunch from scratch. Um, we use local organic produce. We're supported by a ton of awesome farms and businesses around the region, which is great. So our cooks come in at 7 and cook for two hours. And then we open our doors at 9.15 for folks to use the bathroom, just come in and get warm, and to sign up for work for the day and to sign up to eat with us. Um, so basically, almost everyone in our cafe contributes to running the operation, washing dishes, busing tables, serving plates, uh, getting drinks, mopping floors, whatever it is. Um, so folks sign up for that work, and that's what uh, allows them to pay for their meals. Um, and then they also sign up for slots to eat, sort of like a reservation. Um, that way folks can come in in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to come back at 1 p.m. and eat some lunch, but right now I'm going to go to TPI and get a shower and check my mail, and then I'm going to have a meeting with my caseworker and then I'm gonna come here um, and just preserving dignity that way so that folks don't have to spend their whole day waiting in a line just to get something in their bellies yeah and and, and part of the mission is is one relationship at a time so yeah. I mean clearly clearly that is what sisters of the road do how many people are coming through uh, the kitchen through the through the lunch hall through the doors every day uh, we serve about 230 meals a day um, that goes up and down a little bit depending on the time of the month so um, it was just the end of the month and of April um, and so we have every single reservation slot is taken every hospitality meal every way that folks can eat is taken on at the end of the month and and sometimes that's not as true in the beginning of the month folks have a little bit more support and wiggle room I, I explain that a little bit more I mean so, yeah. so people are starting um, off I mean that that's just the, an economic cycle yeah so I would say about half or more of the folks who eat with us uh, have a job or receive funding of some kind for their life, whether that's, um, you know, they were injured in a car accident and they have a payout from a lawsuit, or they are a veteran on disability, they're living off of social security, um, those sorts of things. And so you get those checks at the beginning of the month, every month, and they only get you so far. And so we see um, a lot of those folks who just can't quite make it to the end of the paycheck or can't quite make it at the end of the month um, there are certain folks that, you know, come in, I only see them at the end of the month uh, because they, you know, live out in Barlow and they're a janitor and 
the paid tech just doesn't last. And so they need to come by and, and have some support and, and some friendly faces. So we see some folks only at the end, end of the month and some folks every day. And, and, and uh, your mission talks about a, a, quote, dignified space. I mean, mm -hmm. you've obviously been talking about what that means. I mean, does that, does that outlaw then food fights? Uh, you know, I would say we'd, we probably, I don't think I've seen a food fight. Uh, you know, as long as it's kind and maybe everyone who's participating is consenting and like cleans up after themselves, like I think it'd be, maybe it'd be okay. You All know. right, yeah. good. As long as it's dignified. Yeah. And, and I, th I think one of the things that's really interesting is that, that uh, the price is always $1.50. I mean, yeah. You talk a lot about people coming in and they work, they help prep the mm -hmm. food, they clean up. I mean, so it's really, it starts with that idea there's no free lunch. Yeah, there's, um, we have a few caveats to that, which are grant supported, um, you know, free meals for folks who can't work due to caregiving obligations or disabled, medical disabilities. Um, but otherwise, there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> um, so we like to honor um, everyone's skill. And um, we always say that everyone holds a piece of the truth. Everyone has something valuable to share. Um, and so sometimes that means that you're just really happy to, to do your thing, whether that's, we have some folks who wash dishes every day and there's a couple of people who come by who only wash windows and that is their thing and we save that for them and they do that every day and that's theirs. Um, you know, a lot of folks who live outside or live in poverty don't have the dignity to choose very often. Um, and so when they can come to sisters and know folks and have relationships and be asked, how do you want to pay today? That's a big deal. We assume that everyone who comes through our doors has something to contribute to our space. Um, we don't think that anyone is worth less. Everyone's worth something. So we're happy to honor that. Um, and I think our customers are really happy to share that too. And so the, the price for a meal is $1.50. And yeah. And that's, that's been the same since 1979. No adjustment for inflation. No adjustment for inflation, um, which I think is pretty miraculous. I mean, I would say that we have one of the best cups of coffee that you can get for 25 cents. We refill it all day. And that is like Stumptown or Courier or Cova. I'm sorry if I forgot any of our wonderful coffee sponsors. Trailhead, that's one. Um, yeah, we have amazing folks who give us amazing, amazing coffee. I drink better coffee at work than I do at home. So. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> going to ask. I mean, so the, the coffee sounds great, which is uh, it's a competitive city to have good yes. coffee in. And the food's good? The food is great. I eat lunch in the cafe every day. Uh, we have the Sisters Classic, which is... Uh, rice, beans, and cornbread with butter and house-made salsa, which I must say, if you ever come by, everyone's welcome, uh, but you have to get the salsa because the salsa is like really, really good. Um, so beans, rice, and cornbread every day. And then we also have a special every day, uh, usually with a vegetarian option too. So that's things like, what did we have this week? We had a mushroom and bacon potato chowder, I think yesterday with salad and a Jalapeno cornbread muffin. That was that was Friday. Portland, it's, uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> Port Portland is a foodie town for sure. Yeah, and we like to make sure that everyone has access to that food culture, no matter what your income level is. I want to take a quick music break. You brought in some songs. Is there one that you want to have us play right now? Uh, sure. 
So one song of my list is especially special. It's called Sisters of the Road, and it's written by a local musician named Casey Neal. Um, Casey's a great friend of Sisters, and he wrote a song just about us. Elise Downing is the development co-manager for Sisters of the Road. Let's take a listen. on these streets chills you to the very bone it's coming down tonight in portland town and folks are warm inside their homes trina she came from missouri after her mother passed on to get away from her old man who needed someone to take it out on so she took up with the crusty boys in their fingerless gloves. Here in the Oregon streets, she found a family again to love. And they dumpstered their food, snuck into the shows, took what shelter they could find. Never once did she regret leaving the life she left behind. And your friends become your family and lighten a heavy load With Abby and D.C. Louise, she was a sister of the road Trina fell for a punk named Silver from southern Illinois Who'd been living on the streets of the West Coast Since he was a 13-year-old boy He knew every free meal and stomp down Every dry place to keep warm And he'd take her to him when the darkness fell And they'd lie in each other's arms Silver hustled now and again drunk men's cars Scars ran up and down his arms like the tracks in the rail yards When he'd offer it to her you know she never once took it Beneath the I-5 viaduct his teeth clenched to a tourniquet And the cops found his body by the train tracks where he'd hop Line to Frisco For the last year of his life He loved a sister of the road Trina found her way up off the streets Works in a clinic downtown And all the kids she used to know Well, she never sees them around There are more where they came from Cast aside and left behind Walking down a cold hard road And strung out on the line For the old hobos, the migrant laborers The lost and the wayward teens There's a place where a buck 25 
devil get you a plate of eggs and beans And there's nothing like a cup of coffee When the winter winds blow cold You can find them down in Old Town on 6th Sisters of the Road You can find them down in Old Town on 6th Sisters of the Road. That uh, that was Sisters of the Road, uh, about Sisters of the Road, who we are talking about, which is a fantastic organization that has been in existence, has been uh, an institution really in Portland for uh, 37 years. Am I doing my yeah. math right? Yeah, we opened in November of 1979, so it was a little, I'm always not sure quite how to count, but I will say 37, because it sounds slightly more impressive. And, and Sisters of the Road, where did the name come from? Are we, am I thinking Sisters and Nuns hab Habits? Uh, not Sisters and Nun Habits. We're not a Catholic organization. We're a non-religious organization. Um, so the name comes from uh, what women who traveled on the roads, hopped trains, lived outside, ca called themselves in the 70s, and that was Sisters of the Road. Um, so we took that that title for ourselves, sort of to pay homage to those, those women um, and to sort of demonstrate that we are always striving to be a safe space for women and children um, because the streets are an especially violent place. Um, yeah, not and to be a downer, but the statistics on domestic violence for folks living outside are like real, real not good. Um, and and, and, and let's talk a little bit about, uh, not necessarily that, but let's talk about the neighborhood where Sisters mm -hmm. of the Road is, has changed a certain amount, and yeah. certainly Portland at large has changed a lot since the late 70s and certainly in the, the mm -hmm. last couple of years. How is that affecting Sisters of the Road? Is, are your services changing, or is there the same demand? Is there more demand? Do you need to do things differently now? Um, I would say the changing neighborhood is definitely something we're talking about. Uh, it's definitely something that has changed the way we work a little bit. Um, when we opened in 1979, Old Town Chinatown was very much a skid row. Um, and you didn't really go there, you know. Um, and now it's a place where we see a lot of cross-class interaction, which for us as an organization is something we are promoting and striving to create um, personal relationships regardless of income. Um, so that for us is really cool. It allows us to do our work in an interesting way. Um, the landscape of our neighborhood also makes it really a lot more challenging for the folks we serve. Um, the folks who eat with us used to live outside in our neighborhood and no one really bothered them. I mean, that's not, there's always been a lot of police harassment for folks who live outside, but um, Old Town Chinatown used to be a place that folks who live outside got pushed. Um, and with the development of the Pearl and all the amazing development of Portland as a city that we've seen in the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, um, Old Town Chinatown's a place that people want to be. Uh, it's a place where property values are going up. It's a place where people walk with their families on the weekend. Um, and so it's no longer a place that the city ignores. Um, it's a place where folks who live outside are asked 
to you know, skedaddle. Um, and that means that life in our neighborhood is a little bit harder for our customer community. Um, folks have to travel longer to get to us from where they sleep. Um, so sometimes that's North Portland, sometimes that's Southeast. Um, and so I think we have a, a, you know, we're dealing with it the best we can. Um, we would, we have a lot of daydreams about, you know, a Sisters of the Road 2 that's on the east side, or a Sisters of the Road cart, or something like that. Um, but for now, what we do have on the east side is our Greeley Garden, which we run in cooperation with um, the Urban Farm Collective. And uh, so that's a space where we grow produce that we sell in the cafe. Um, we use it in the kitchen, and we also sell it at our farm stand, which is open every Saturday during growing season, which I think for us is going to start in a, in a couple of weeks, probably next week, first weekend of May. Um, so that is a place where our community works together outside, um, and some of our community members live out there too. Uh, so that's what we have going on the east side for now. Um, it'd be great if all of the resources were in places where folks could access them, but we aren't there yet. So um, for now, we're just staying put because everyone knows how to find us. And, and you came to your position at Sisters of the Road through community, organization, community organizing and environmental justice. Uh, it sounds like some of those elements are at Sisters of the Road, but can you expand a little bit on what you see as the connection between your previous work and, and what you're doing now? Yeah, uh, so I started organizing when I was in college around the environment and you know climate action and climate justice and what does that look like? Um, and for me, I came to learn a lot about how poverty, about how economics determines whether or not you have access to a healthful environment, whether or not you have high rates of cancer, whether or not you have a park to go play in, um, you know, whether or not you have a yard, whether or not you can access a grocery store. Um, so our urban environment very much defines our success in society, um, and those environments aren't distributed randomly. Um, so for me, I started out as an environmentalist who wasn't ever really sure how to feel about that. Like, oh, this title doesn't feel that great to me. Um, and I, as I organized, learned more and more about how those environmentalism and social justice in general are so connected. Um, and a big part of that line is poverty, and the other big line is race. Um, so that's something that I love about Sisters is that we are able to talk about all of the issues we face holistically. Um, and I often say that, you know, Sisters is the most diverse place I've ever been aside from like a city bus. Um, the folks' life experience that I meet every day is just like so varied. Um, and it's so fun to hear everyone's stories because everyone has a different, everyone has a different one. June 1st is the full plate project. Uh, can you tell me what that is? Yeah, so that is for us at Sisters a um, matching donations campaign. So in the months of June and July, if you donate money to Sisters, that um, for every dollar you are matched by a generous pool of donors to um, make those donations go twice as far. Uh, so we are super excited to have the full plate project coming up. Um, this year we're really focusing on how we can continue to grow our community together um, through the full support that we get through the full plate project. Um, so often that means 
for us, um, you know, expanding our food justice program. Um, that's our program that uh, farms at Greeley Garden, that hosts our farm stand, that talks with our community about how we want to move forward, what we need to know together, um, and like the, the barriers that are in place for folks who are trying to access healthful food. Um, so we are excited to keep growing that community, to keep talking about food justice, um, and to keep ensuring that everyone has access to healthy food regardless of income. And the Full Plate Project just goes amazing distances in helping us to ensure that we reach those goals. Elise Downing is the development co-manager for Sisters of the Road. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And people can join Sisters of the Road for lunch, but do not expect a free lunch. That's right. Lunch is not free. Uh, you had one more song to take us out. Yes. Uh, we're going to go out on No Rest for the Weary by the Blue Scholars. Great choice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Shit into 
a rhythmic lesson And entertainment's a legitimate weapon Igniting the cypher sessions I'm deciphering life And blending both theory into practice I write vernacular and actual fact God, no posturing A thousand points and fingers I defied every one of them I ride for my brethren Who carry the burden Of a future uncertain Till the fall of the curtain You better move Hold your head high, soldier It ain't over yet That's why we call it a struggle You're supposed to sweat Check the work ethic in the name The lessons might change But the essence of the message is the same So when they say anything Say why is it Class is in session Till the teacher gets a big slip Crazy landlady Try to switch upon the lease If she raises up the rent again It's time to say peace Peace, peace, and that's my peace It's still all about the bullet in the belly of the beast From the east, my brother, we came The lessons might change But the essence of the message is the same So when they say anything, say why is it? Class is in session till the teacher gets a big slip So keep marching till your feet split Open, no rest for the weary blue scholars Keep going If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour program from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit mediamakingchange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and their summer documentary program. The Nonprofit Hour is also brought to you in part by generous support from Pacific Continental Bank and BusinessWorks. Find out more at therightbank.com or businessworkspdx.com. We also receive support from Living Room Realty, who are committed to living and doing business with meaning, and Ristretto Roasters, locally owned and small batch roasted since 2005. Four cafes in urban Portland and available at local markets and online. More info at rrpdx.com. Next up, we'll be hearing from Rebecca Albert of Rosehaven in conversation with Phil Bussey. 
This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I am pleased to be in the studio with Rebecca Albert, who is the executive director of Rosehaven. I almost called you the new executive of, of, of Rosehaven, but that's not <laughs> not true at all. I'm kind of uh, not new anymore, but I've been I've been the ED at Rosehaven for four years. And I'm only the second executive director of Rosehaven. Ever? Ever. Oh, Rose- that's that's fascinating. So, because yeah. uh, Rosehaven... Uh, you're, you you have a better handle on the history than I do, but <laughs> since the 80s, it's been around. Yeah, Rosehaven was actually founded in 1997. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Founded in 1997 by Sister Kathy Borbum, our founding director. And Sister Kathy is a Good Shepherd sister, and she founded the agency in 1997. And its first home was in a tiny little office building, Central City Concern Building, by the police precinct in Old Town. And so... At that time, Sister Kathy and a group of intrepid volunteers who wanted to do something for women who were experiencing homelessness and abuse got that space, and they partnered with Catholic Charities, and that's how Rose Haven came into being. I was in that space until 2006, and then the agency moved to its current location on Northwest 18th and Irving. And 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 she was the executive director. Of- she she was. She's the founding director and started out. I always say with a wing and a prayer. Uh, it's a good line for a, a, a sister who's uh, you know her 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 order. The Sisters of Good Shepherd focus on programs and charism for women and children, and that's historically the basis of the Sisters of Good Shepherd going way back to post revolutionary France, where the order was founded, and. So her vocation led her to Portland, and she wanted to do something for women and children in the Portland area that were experiencing prostitution, domestic abuse, other forms of abuse, hunger, homelessness, poverty, and all of its manifestations. So she collaborated with Catholic Charities to open the agency, and then in 1996, Rose Haven and Catholic Charities work together to really focus on the areas they wanted to go in most directly. Catholic Charities really wanted to focus their women's programs on long-term housing for women with children, so they kind of went that way, and Rosehaven wanted to maintain the day shelter environment, which was open to any woman with children or without children, really kind of that no-barrier place to be right off the street. So Rosehaven reincorporated as a private nonprofit, and that was in 1997, and we reopened our doors uh, where we're currently located, which is Northwest Irving and 18th. We're located in the basement of a building adjoining First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, um, and we've been there ever since. So when Sister Kathy retired in 2012, I was hired as the second executive director. And that's that's both uh, an opportunity and a challenge to take <laughs> over from someone who has been there since since the get-go yeah. and and what um what has been most difficult in terms of taking over from someone who has such a legacy with the organization. Mm-hmm. Well, believe me, <clears throat> I thought about all of that and um my family said, "Wow, what a challenge." But I had often thought over the years in my nonprofit career that if I had the opportunity to apply my skills and my passion for working with women and children in an agency setting that focused simply on that population, I would want to do that. So um, 
One of the great things for me with transitioning into Rosehaven was I got to work directly with Sister Kathy for the first month as she was transitioning out. And the way that the agency has been developed over the years, it's a real community base agency. There are far more volunteers than there are staff. I'm very used to that. My background is in agencies that are structured that way, although much larger. I was with um, the Meals on Wheels people for 20 years, and that's certainly an agency with all the centers that it's mostly volunteer-driven. It's um, very familiar to me in that way. Um, And I think that I was most challenged by the idea that um, with such a small agency, with so much growth in the number of people that we serve, how are we going to grow fast enough to keep up with need? So um, it's a growing population of women and children who need these kinds of services. So that was probably at the beginning the most intimidating part of it, but um, it's really proving to be um, growth that we're managing to run to keep up with, sort of. And I, and I want to take a uh, talk more in, in a little bit about how your services are either changing or the demand for them are changing mm-hmm. and as Portland changes. Um, I, I, I want to keep a little bit on here on this transition yeah. from Sister Kathy to you. And yeah. you're not a sister. I'm not. <laughs> and, and, I'm not a Catholic sister. And so uh, if, if, if you're in my generation, you could remember... Chevy Chase saying, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And so I would say, you know, that's Sister Kathy and I'm not. Um, but uh, it, it's worked out really well. People have been very open to um, growth in the agency and expansion and new leadership. And uh, it has been a joy to get to know so many loyal volunteers who've worked for so many years, some board members. Um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, so we have a corporate board, um, and I've still got two or three very dedicated people who serve on the board and on committees who have been with the agency for many years. But, you know, it was also a time for Rosehaven to take our story out to a larger uh, group of people and talk a little bit more uh, with people that didn't know about Rosehaven. I would say we were and still are, to some extent, a pretty well-kept secret. Uh, we don't have the visibility of many other agencies. And and, and I want to just talk about that point for a little uh-huh. bit, because that, that must be one of the challenges, is that um, domestic violence is, is obviously part of uh, what the, the Rose Haven mm-hmm. is there to provide support, um, support for. Yes. And that creates some issues in terms of confidentiality. Yep. Um, secrecy is maybe a larger word than, than mm-hmm. necessary. But that, on a marketing standpoint, yep. those are all the things that yeah. you don't want to have. And, yeah. and how, do you, how do you balance that? How do you balance getting your name out there but also protecting the identity of uh, the women and the children right. that you're serving? Right. Well, um, the first thing to clarify is that Rosehaven is not a safe house for victims of domestic violence and survivors of domestic violence. We are um, an agency that publicizes our address and our phone number, and we want people to come visit. Uh, we work with a number of uh, agencies that are domestic violence shelters, and they do not publicize their address or phone number. So there's a distinction there. Um, and and so the other piece of it is, since we are a day shelter for women and children, um, though we publicize our phone number and address, we clarify for people when they come to the door. Um, we welcome people. Uh, we invite them in. We certainly serve 
any person who self-identifies as female. We don't make a judgment. Um, we let people tell us what their um, gender identification is. And um, we clarify for folks who come in and are just confused and don't know who we serve, um, where they can re receive service if they are not self-identifying as a, as a female. And, and I want to talk more about that and I was mm -hmm. also in a little moment. I, I feel like we're putting a lot of issues uh, off to talk in a moment. <laughs> we do. I'm, I'm, I'm still very interested mm -hmm. in this transition and I, I mm -hmm. won't obsess anymore after this question <laughs> on it. But moving from an organization that, that had uh, Catholic uh, charitable, charitable mm -hmm. ideas mm -hmm. in its genesis. Yes. Uh, and, and, and into something that is um, more of a secular mm -hmm. nonprofit. Yep. Uh, that has to be, or was that interesting? Has that been challenging? You know, it it has been wonderful because um, the charism of Good Shepherd or the core value of Good Shepherd is based on four values. And the four values are the same as they ever were. So uh, the, the values of Rosehaven are the same as theirs. And our values are individual worth, compassion or mercy, reconciliation, and zeal or love in action. And, you know, zeal is kind of an old-fashioned Catholic word or religious term, but zeal just means love in action. And so that's really where the mission of Rosehaven and our core values, nothing has changed. So that's been a story and historically who we were and what we did. Um, just as a little historical back note, the uh, founding founders of the Sisters of Good Shepherd uh, a woman named Mary Euphrasia. She developed her first convent, and the Sisters of Good Shepherd came into being at a time when there was a huge population of women and children in France who were basically on the streets and in prostitution and uh, horrible circumstances because they weren't a part of a family that had resources or wealth. And so the Sisters of Good Shepherd developed... Uh, their convent in order to provide for these people. And at that time, Mary Euphrasia was well known for making it abundantly clear to whatever clerics she needed to work with, whatever bishops, whatever Catholic uh, magistrates she had to answer to, that the programs of Good Shepherd would be available to any woman and child. And so she served women who were coming from many different faith backgrounds and no faith backgrounds. So that value of encompassing anyone with the hospitality um, that we offer is, you know, probably why for me personally, um, it was very easy to transition to this mission and to these values. That's certainly been my core values all my years in nonprofit and, and in growing up. You're also coming from an organization called Loaves and Fishes. Yeah. Which seems to Which have... is no longer called Loaves and Fishes. Its new name is the Meals on Wheels People. But in its first 38 years of existence, it was Loaves and Fishes, the Meals on Wheels People. And that was a struggle as a marketing director for that agency and a, a spokesperson for that agency for many years. I had to really help people understand that although the Loaves and Fishes piece was definitely tied to the organization's support with many, many different churches in the Portland community. It didn't mean that we didn't partner with other types of faith organizations, Muslim, Jewish, uh, Hindi, uh, but we also partnered with a number of organizations that had nothing to do with faith communities. So, um, 
I'm kind of comfortable in being in that position of helping people understand the inclusivity of the agency. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Rebecca Albert, who is the executive director for Rosehaven. Rebecca, you brought in a, a number of songs. Do you want to start us off with one of them? I would. I think that we should start right out with Aretha Franklin singing Respect, because that's a song that gives women courage and words to demand the treatment we deserve. We'll let Aretha take it from here. That was Aretha Franklin singing Respect. I'm speaking, this is Phil Bussey. I'm speaking with Rebecca Albert, who is the executive director for the past four years at Rosehaven. I want to talk about uh, Rosehaven's, uh, there has to be a certain amount of fluidity uh, in the services that you provide, I would imagine, especially given that Portland is changing so much and, and affordability, mm-hmm. homelessness. Uh, are becoming increasingly uh, in, important issues. I want to talk about one thing you were, you were talking about earlier, though, is about the idea that this is uh, an organization and these are services for women. Yes. And that idea of uh, you you are providing services for anyone who identifies as a woman, that yep. I would imagine that's that's a new issue to, uh, to, to manage. Do you remember the first time that Rosehaven had to address that issue? Oh, I think that Rosehaven was addressing that need way back in the day, because as we all know, there's been transgender women and men in the community for probably 
you know, way longer than Rosehaven has existed, certainly. It's just that, you know, it wasn't a topic that was discussed. So back in the day when Sister Kathy was welcoming transgender guests into Rosehaven, in our first location, um, it would just be the core values of Rosehaven that would have, you know, anticipated the needs of those individuals. But now what we see that's really different is that there's just more transgender people in our community, which you know, speaks to the fact that many transgender people have moved to Oregon because there is some support um, for people who are going through transition with the Oregon Health Plan that didn't used to exist. So it can be a destination for people who need surgery and just need transit, you know, they need medicine to support their transition. Um, And I think that because the number of transgender people in the community is growing and because they so unfairly and terribly are subjected to conditions of homelessness, of abuse um, in much greater numbers than um, cisgendered people, you know, it makes sense that they would then seek services in organizations like Rosehaven that provide uh, shelter and provide services for people who are in those situations. So we are seeing more, which is kind of, uh, as I say, it's kind of a two-sided thing. We're so glad that we are there to serve more people. On the other hand, what we know about our transgender women is that they are experiencing a great deal of um, suffering in the community that far exceeds other women. Let's let's uh, pin pin down some numbers here if we can. Mm-hmm. How many uh, people does Rosehaven serve in in a month or in a year? Or okay. What? Well, I can just give you our most recent statistics for 2015. We served just about 3,000 women and children. 80% of them were women, and 20% were children. Our shelter is quite small. It's 3,000 square feet. So while we wish we had a whole wing dedicated to programming and activities for kids, we don't have that. We do have some classroom space, and we actually are now renting additional space from the church, uh, First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, so we can have larger groups in another area of the building, which is outside our shelter. Um, but we serve anywhere, to break that down a little bit for you, between 70 and 80 women and kids a day. And we have, on average, maybe 10, 8 to 10 new people a day. So we have a tremendous number of new people coming in. And we have... Um, Many of the women and children whom we serve are coming there on referral from other agencies or just word of mouth from other people in the community whom we serve. Um, we Average age of our guests is, I think, 44 years old, but we have babies that come in when they're days old, and we've got women that we serve that are up into their 80s and 90s. And how, when you're saying serve, what... Tell me, what, what does that look like? Somebody sure. somebody comes in and, and mm-hmm. what happens next? Well, you know, when people are coming in and they're experiencing homelessness, they are in an emergency shelter or they're sleeping on the street or under a bridge or in a tent or they're couch surfing. All of those things we say are 
uh, loss of home related, then when they come into Rose Haven, they are coming because they need a place to be safe off the street during the daytime. Because say they are in an emergency nighttime shelter, they have to leave at seven o'clock in the morning mostly. So this is why Rose Haven came into being. We're that place for women and children to be safe off the streets during the daytime. So that first component is safe shelter. Right after that, it's just all the basic needs that we meet. We have bathrooms, not enough, but we have them. Um, we have healthy meals. We have clothing. We have hygiene items. We have a hospitality room with comfortable chairs and sofas so people can cuddle up and sleep if they want to during the day. If we have room, they can visit with each other. They can be quiet. They can rest. They can put down their backpacks. That's the other thing about being homeless that we don't think about too much. If you're homeless, you don't have a place to put your stuff. So you're hauling it with you. And we don't have a lot of room, but we do have enough space that people can put their stuff down. They can eat a healthy meal. They can get clean clothing. Um, use the bathroom. We've got telephones. We've got internet. We've got uh, the ability for women to set up voicemail accounts. So that's the other thing. If you're homeless and looking for a job, how do you have an address? How do people get a hold of you that you're interviewing with or hoping to interview with? So really a lot of those basic shelter, day shelter services, but the core of what we do is really provided through what we call advocacy. We have uh, trained advocates on our staff who meet individually with every woman when she comes in for the first time to kind of identify in conversation what that individual person wants to get done that first day. So we don't really have a protocol that people have to come in and do things in a certain order uh, or do certain things. Um, they can come in. They can identify what they want to have happen that first day. The advocate will help them with a very brief registration form. And um, then they're free to take advantage of whatever classes or activities, support groups. We've got some one-on-one -on -one counseling. Um, people can decide what to do. And then as we develop a relationship with people and some of their basic needs are more met, then they usually meet with advocates. They ask to meet with their advocate again. And we're able to kind of dig down a little bit with them to sort of address whatever their really baseline issues are. And how how long are people often uh, returning to to Rosehaven? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're mm -hmm. obviously you're you're building a relationship. I yep. mean, that first day that that somebody comes in, and you're mm -hmm. saying about oh ten or a dozen new people come in every day. Anywhere from three to four up to a ten, we could have in a day. That would be ten. Would be a big day. Two or three would be really typical. And then uh, how how long how long do you? Yeah. know these people. I mean, I, I don't know right. how, how, how long do we know them? What's the turnover? You know, we have a tremendous number of new people who come each year. And, I, you know, this, the statistic I would give you is that there is a core of probably 40 percent of the people who we serve who we served the year before. And of that group, there's probably half that have been with Rose Haven since its earliest days. So there's a number of people that we serve in a sustained fashion over time. They may come in and out of actually being homeless. They may come in and out of actually having disruptions in their life that involve abuse, domestic violence, mental illness, drug abuse problems. 
and and we're there when we when that person individually needs us but we are also seeing a tremendous number of people who will come in they have an urgent need they may be in crisis of some kind we will help them with a specific issue or need and sometimes that means we're partnering with other agencies to do so and then their issues are resolved and they're moving on and they will then come back as volunteers they'll donate their time or money or beautiful used gently used clothing to us because we're we're uh, the masters at repurposing let me tell you if you go to work uh, in an agency that has been run by a very thrifty Catholic nun who really had it all dialed in when it came to recycling and reusing we have a huge resource of people in the community who donate goods and services to us that help us keep going so this is home base for 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 quite a large yeah, number of women in town. It home. is. It really is. And and a lot of the women will, you know, we get women who come from different treatment programs. So they'll be told by their counselors, their drug treatment counselors that they can come to Rosehaven during this one stop they get to make before going back into their treatment setting and they'll they'll send them our way for clothing, for meals, to check in with one of our advocates, to get a mailbox set up. So uh, we're going to see those kind of people maybe on and off for a couple months and then they're going to be done. And and obviously people are coming to Rosehaven or coming there for uh, difficult situations. Mm-hmm. What's the mood like there on a daily basis? Well, though? you know, it's amazing because I, I remember... Um, thinking, um, wow, uh, there's so much need. There's a lot of trauma here. There's a lot of post-traumatic feeling here. There'll probably be a lot of tears. And I I wouldn't want to say there aren't tears and, and strong feelings. But in general, you have never met a more upbeat, positive, uh, really... It's an uplifting setting. Um, the, The Rosehaven was sort of set up to be a real community-based model. So whether you're a volunteer or a staff person, one of six, or uh, a guest, we don't have clients, we don't have patients, but we do have guests. If you're a Rosehaven guest, you know, we're, we're all kind of working together to maintain our community agreement, which we all read and sign from the get-go. And so when we have people who have challenges, we try and be there to support each other. We try and have a community meeting every week, which includes our staff, our volunteers, and our guests. And we just kind of talk together about what's going on. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Rebecca Elbert, who is the executive director for Rosehaven. You have another song for us. I do. Mary J. Blige, No More Drama. Uh, that was kind of a staff pick, and although the name is a funny one, and, and we're all prone to saying we don't need any more drama today at Rosehaven because we do get our fair share, it's a great song because she really talks about, you know, the difficult topic of domestic violence and in the song, how a woman gathers the courage to move into a safer space in her life. Excellent.
This is the Media Institute for Social Changes Nonprofit Hour. I'm Phil Bussey. I'm talking with Rebecca Albert, who is executive director for Rose Haven. Now, can can you talk to me? You you have a, an interesting window on Portland in terms of you are seeing uh, some of the pressures and the very yes. individual uh, impacts of the rise of rent. Mm-hmm. Um, you are probably seeing a lot of the impacts of just the changing demographics. Yeah. What, what, well, let's just start getting, are you optimistic or pessimistic about Portland? Oh, well, let's see. I started with Rose Haven in the midst of the recession. And so one of the first meetings I had with a guest was a woman about my age who had a corporate career in banking, who'd been downsized, lost her job. Um, took all of her value out of her home, had, ended up having her home repossessed, stayed with a son till his job took him out of the community. And she was in a homeless shelter. And so there was, and she, I think she had a master's degree in business. So there was a, an, an example right off the get-go in my career at Rose Haven where I was sitting across the table from somebody who there were no degrees of separation. You know, and I think the recession pushed a lot of formerly middle-class people into really economic crisis. So if you think about that woman and then you think about the typical person who Rose Haven serves, and that would be a person who's experiencing poverty, not in the middle class, um, very very possibly a, a woman of color. 30% of our guests are women of color. Um, and what did the recession do to those people? who were typically our clients and guests before the recession, pushed them into greater crisis. And then now you add to that, great, we're moving out of the recession. Real challenging that in Portland, because of the desirability of our real estate, people who are uh, poor are being priced out and pushed out of rental property and So what we see now is that there are longer and longer waiting lists for women who've been approved for low-income housing. They just can't find any because there just aren't enough resources. So it's compounded. The the current situation with the uh, real estate market in our our community has just compounded and worsened the situation for... um, the folks that we serve. And I guess what's the most visible to all of us that we just hear talked and talked and talked about are the number of people who are very readily observable on the streets who've just been priced out and they don't have any money to go anywhere else. And they're camping under the overpasses and they're really very evidently in dire need. And, you know, we've seen how that's pushed out into the suburbs. Uh, in all directions. You know, that used to be something that you'd think you'd see in the core area, but it's no longer that way. So that's what we see is that the conditions have worsened. And so that's talk talk of the town. And what do I see that encourages me? Well, I see signs, at least in terms of dialogue, that on a city, county, state and national level, there's more dialogue about the fact that city to city, these needs are just growing and they'll have to be addressed. 
nationally. And locally, we see that there's some things that the city and the county are are wanting to do, and Rosehaven hopes to be a part of that. Um, I go to a lot of meetings and say, you know, we do a lot of talking about shelter beds, emergency shelter beds, which are a priority. Um, But they're really just that space that we're renting for people eight or nine hours, maybe 10 hours at the most a night. And then that's not, you know, being out of a home means you're out of a home 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Rosehaven has always focused on, for women and children, what's happening during the day, because that's when women experience prostitution and abuse are most at risk. So I hope that we continue to expand the dialogue about what we're doing in terms of emergency services, not just long-term, because that's great, and um, it's important that we look at longer-term solutions, but it's also important to realize that emergency services for people who are homeless have to encompass the 24-hour day. It's not just a nighttime situation. And, and on a daily basis, Rebecca, I mean, you're, you're working with, with lots of women mm-hmm. uh, and providing support and services. Do you have advice that you give to your family and friends who uh, maybe don't work with, with mm-hmm. this population but um, see homeless people underneath the yes. Hawthorne Bridge or see somebody that's panhandling on, yeah. on an exchange? Do you have advice for, mm-hmm. for what, what is? What is what's, the, what's the good reaction? What's a good reaction? Yeah. And, you know, I guess it's more to the point, what's what's the, the reaction that I don't ever want to uh, do myself, which is just to turn away. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess there's been a lot of feedback about that. You know, please smile. Please make eye contact. Don't pretend people aren't there. So we need to see people when they're outside. And, and I agree with that. And then once you've made eye contact and you've nodded and said hello and smiled, uh, you know, that could be appropriate, but if somebody's sitting on the corner sobbing, saying hi and smiling is possibly not the more appropriate reaction. So what we try and tell our su- people who support the work we do is have a card, have some information available. We've got these little business card size things that we give everybody to give out on the street, and it tells where we are and what we do. And so that can be given to a woman uh, or a child who's really on the street and needs some immediate resource. The other thing that I think people have to make their own decision about is what resource they can provide in the moment. Um, Some of us like to have water bottles and nutrition bars, and sometimes those are accepted with gratitude. Um, Sometimes that's not what people want. So I guess there's just this point of where we each have to say, we're willing to put ourselves out there a little bit. Um, It may be that you're extension of humanity may not be greeted positively. But in general, I feel that for me personally, they are I just say hi to people. Um, We have the food bank right next door to us lift uh, urban lift. And so the food bank line forms right outside my office every couple days. And one thing I've had to discipline myself to is, you know, here's a group of men and women out there who are hungry, I'm not going to walk by them and not say hello and make eye contact. Because it's hard. And I think just acknowledging that it's hard. We don't have what we wish we had for people who are in need, but just put ourselves out there a little bit. And and we've been talking about uh, the services that Rosehaven provides and, mm-hmm. and the, the women and children that Rosehaven works with. Uh, and, and certainly uh, economic 
hardships uh, is one of the the factors uh, that yeah. is uh, pushing people your direction. Domestic violence is obviously another mm-hmm. uh, major factor. Mm-hmm. Is is there have been a number of federal initiatives mm-hmm. uh, to really raise awareness about mm-hmm. domestic violence. Um, is is domestic violence? Is it what changes are you seeing in terms of its frequency or the people, mm-hmm. or is it knowing that the problem is out there more that it seems to be more prevalent now? Well, I, I think probably the reality is that over the last twenty or thirty years, it's you know become a topic that's on the table to talk about and. Probably that's good in the sense that at least it's not hidden under the rug um, the way it was for so many years in this country and still in many other countries still is. On the other hand, it's kind of like this complacency. We talk about it. Um, Are we really making a difference in the lives of the people who are experiencing those situations? And I would have to say that I think uh, the reality is that for women who are without homes, it's not a matter of if they're going to experience assault, they are going to experience it. It's either happened before they lost their home and they possibly left their home because of it, or if they're on the street, they're so vulnerable to assault and rape, among other things, that if they weren't, you know, victims of domestic assault, they are going to be once they've lost a home. So I don't really see that we've turned the corner um, on the situations that create increased incidents of domestic assault. And, and I would also say that you know, it's tied to all other kinds of problems. Um, we see almost every day that um, a woman or a person loses their life um, because their partner or ex-partner um, was able to get a hold of a weapon, usually a gun, and um, that became a part of, of, of the abuse situation. So um, I would just say that I don't think that we as a community or as a country have done what we need to do to reduce the conditions that lead to domestic abuse and just abuse on women and children in the country. What, what Rebecca, just, just to... Um wrap up the conversation. What what are ways that people could get involved or support Rosehaven? Well, there's a number of ways to get involved to help Rosehaven. Uh, we really welcome anybody who wants to volunteer. We use anywhere from 10 to 15 volunteers a day. And so we have plenty of room if people would like to come down to the shelter and help prepare and serve food, uh, work with assisting women in accessing computer services if they want to teach a class. Um, if they are yoga instructors, if they're counselors, if they're nurses, we work with all kinds of professional people who have time to donate in their field, and that's just awesome. So they're certainly volunteering. Um, we also really, of course, we our budget's about a half a million dollars a year now, so we're pretty small financially compared to some larger agencies, but uh, we're growing so fast that the need to work with people who either themselves are able to make a financial gift or their business or they're willing to, to uh, help us do that work, that's always great. So those are two things that people can do. And, and, and I think the other thing that is really helpful is to just come down and take a tour of Rosehaven and know who we are and then be able to refer people in your community, in your family, in your neighborhood to us when they need help. 
Rebecca Albert is executive director for Rosehaven. Thank you so much for coming in today. And how about one last song to oh, take us out? Yeah. Okay. So the last song, Rachel Planton, Fight Song. It's an anthem that rocks and is very empowering. And it's about fighting and taking ownership of our lives overcoming obstacles. So that seems to be a really good one for Rosehaven. That sounds like a great way to end this conversation. Thank you for taking the time and thank you for all the great work that Rosehaven does. Thank you so much. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open
We've now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. The show has been produced and edited by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour, and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page or podcasts on the Apple iTunes Store. If you'd like to make a comment or suggestion about an organization we should profile on a future show, please send an email to nph at mediamakingchange.org. We'd like to thank our guests on the show this week, Megan George from Awesome Portland, Elise Downing of Sisters of the Road, and Rebecca Albert of Rosehaven. We'd also like to thank the Media Institute for Social Change, our regular hosts, Phil Bussey and Julie Falk, KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM, and you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a great week, and join us again next week at noon on Monday for the Nonprofit Hour Show.